Welcome to the story we tell ourselves. This is a podcast for women across Canada. We cover all range of topics, ministry, leadership, the tensions we face, balance in our lives, mental health and well-being, spiritual disciplines, conflict resolution, church health. There are so many things. I am your host, Rebecca McNeely, and this is a Salvationist Women podcast. I hope you enjoy. Stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in. Okay, I'm back again, and I'm here today with. Ingrid Davis, actually Dr. Ingrid Davis. She has a doctorate in global leadership and I'm going to let her introduce kind of the work she's doing right now because it'll it'll make much more sense coming from her. So thank you Ingrid for being on the podcast today. You're so welcome. It's so good to be here with all of you and um yes, I do have a doctor of ministry in global leadership. And my real heart passion is caring for the soul of leaders. And so coming alongside leaders to help them become aware of their own souls, what's going on in their souls, how to have a healthy soul, um, the danger signs of soul neglect. And so that's where I'm passionate. I've been able to work with leaders all over the world. Um, Right now, actually, my husband and I are in Stavanger, Norway where we're working with uh, international English-speaking churches here. We just came back from Basel, Switzerland, where we were working with international English-speaking leaders and pastors throughout um, Europe and the Middle East and North Africa. So um, the Lord has kind of expanded our boundaries and given us the uh, just the privilege to be able to come alongside leaders around the world. Wow. That's wonderful. So cool that you get to do some of that ministry with your husband too. I love it when I, that's like my mom and dad working with the Salvation Army, they get to do a lot of the ministry together. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's hard sometimes to always work together, but also I'm sure there are like, it's, it's rich, it's exciting. Mm. So I'm curious, how did you come to have this passion for soul care. And there is a Latin phrase that you are going to say instead of me. So how did you come across this? Yeah. So in Latin, soul care is cure animatum. And animatum is the Latin word for the soul. And cure is both care and cure. So it's both coming alongside helping, but also healing the soul. And I think we need both. And so this really comes out of my own story and how I came to a place where I finally understood why I did what I did and um, how my soul was impacted in ways that I actually didn't realize in life and in ministry. And so I think the passion comes out of my own story and out of my own healing. That's beautiful. And I mean, that would give you a way to like more deeply empathize with people too, as you walk with them through what they're going through. So. I, you said in your introduction, part of one of the aspects of that soul care is 
noticing the danger signs of soul neglect. Mm-hmm. And before I ask the rest of my initial question, <laughs> I'm very curious what the danger signs of soul mm. neglect are. Yeah. So when leaders, um, when we don't have a healthy soul, I'll put myself in it. Um, we often get our identity out of other things besides who we are in Christ. So when we're neglecting our soul, we can be very perfectionistic. Um, We're really concerned about what other people think about us. Um, We're afraid of other people's opinions and can get quickly um, sidelined by people's criticisms. Um, Our identity, like I said, is not in who we are in Christ. It's in other things, my performance, the approval of others. I think when we're neglecting our soul, we are extremely tired because we're living constantly on this, in this drivenness because my identity is based on what I do. And so therefore I have to do a lot to get people's approval. And you know, the old adage, you can, um, you can please some of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. And uh, an unhealthy leader is constantly on this circle of trying to please others and driven by activity um, so that they'll get the approval of others. And then it just is a constant cycle of grief. Um, I think unhealthy or soul neglect leads to unhealthy relationships um, where we're leaving a wake of pain and hurt in our leadership because we're not paying attention to what's going on in our own soul. And I would say the other thing with soul neglect is we're physically can oftentimes be physically ill. We can have oftentimes what I found is back and neck issues, digestive issues, sleep issues, um, just physical weight issues because we're not caring for our soul. And, you know, when I talk about soul neglect, it's really mind, body, soul, and spirit. You know, we can't really divide out and say, well, I'm spiritually healthy um, or spiritually mature because um, I go to church, I read my Bible, I give, I serve. So I'm spiritually mature. And meanwhile, we are leaving a wake of pain and hurt um, because of our soul issues. And so I I really believe in a holistic um, view of who we are as individuals And so that we need to care for every aspect of ourselves, mind, body, soul, and spirit. I have myself muted, but if I didn't, I would, the whole podcast would just be me going, "Mm, mm, yeah, because (laughs) everything you're saying is so good. And it's something Mm. that I have thought so much about. And I was happy to hear you point to some of the things that I, like, even as you were talking, I felt myself kind of have like a, oh, like, yes, Mm. this is. I do not need to, I need to be, I just, everything you're saying makes me think of Robert Mulholland's book, The Invitation mm. to the Deeper Journey. And yes. just how quickly, despite having read that and, and, you know, be, you know, knowing how my true self is grounded in God and in the word so subtly, it's so just gradually realizing that my thoughts in the last few weeks have been around like 
you know, a missed scholarship opportunity or, or, you know, not a lot of positive feedback on a, on a speak I did or, or, or a Mm -hmm. lot of positive feedback and kind of getting all like, oh, it's such an addictive feeling to get that. And the way you describe that, we can, we become more easily sidelined by criticism. We become so fixated on people's opinions and that is exhausting. Like (laughs) that is no way to live. And, and then you going into how that impacts others, we end up in these unhealthy relationships and we end up hurting people when we're in positions of leadership and it's just this vicious cycle instead of operating out of that, like belovedness and that, like Mm -hmm. what he says to be true about us. So when you walk alongside Mm -hmm. people who are facing kind of this, maybe cyclical or perpetual, maybe they don't even know, like you said, soul neglect what are like those first things that you do? Like when you walk into a new mentoring or coaching relationship, like what's, Mm -hmm. what are your first steps? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I usually start with my story and how I became aware of just my own really unhealth in my soul. And so maybe I'll just give you a truncated version of it. So um, God called very specifically Chuck and I to West Africa and um, to be international workers. And um, I, we were pastoring a church in New Jersey. I had two-year-old twins and then I had another baby. So I had two-year-old twins and a newborn. And we were going through this battery of tests um, to see if we were ready to go internationally and prepared and had language acquisition skills and ability to cope um, psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. So I took these tests and my file was red flagged. And so the leadership of our denomination came to our little church in New Jersey and um, they said, uh, Ingrid, we're a little concerned to send you to West Africa because um, your file's been red flagged. And I said, well, what does that mean? And they said, well, you have high anxiety, high stress, inability to cope with stress and anger issues. And I thought, wow, that's not a very pretty picture. And um, they said, do you know where that's coming from? Now, my first thought was, yeah, I have three children, two and under. That was my first thought. But it was an inside voice and I didn't say it out loud. And I said, I really don't know. And honestly, Maybe that was some of my stress, but I didn't really understand where just a lot of the the red flags were coming from in my soul. And so they said, well, you really should deal with it. And they sent us to West Africa, never having dealt with the issues in my soul. Where did this anxiety come from? Where did this fear come from? Um, And so when we got to Africa, we were in Mali, West Africa, you know, what was maybe a small fissure in my soul in America became a chasm in West Africa when just culture shock and living in another country country and being on this big missionary team and it all kind of came out and I realized I wasn't coping well with all of it. And you know, I used to, I was the person you wanted on your team. I was loyal. I followed through. I wanted to please people. I wanted to meet everybody's expectations. And when I got to Africa, I realized on this team, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I did not have the capacity to keep performing. 
And I think that was one of my first signs to realize I was doing this performing for a team and wanting to participate, right? But realizing I couldn't live up to everybody's expectations anymore. And I got really sick. Um, I mean, like physical ailments. You know, I had salmonella and shigella and malaria and any other illness that ended with an Ella, I think I had. (laughs) And honestly, as I look back now, if I'm very honest, I think a lot of my sickness was because my soul wasn't well, because I couldn't live up to everybody's expectations. And when I was sick, nobody could have expectations of me. Ingrid couldn't make it. She couldn't do it. She's sick. And it was almost as if subconsciously, honestly, Rebecca, this wasn't a conscious thought, but I think I hid behind my sickness because then I didn't have to perform or I didn't have to meet everybody's expectations. And I was living with, my husband was thriving. He loved being in West Africa. He loved going out and being with the people. And, and I remember I felt, and he told me, he said, Ingrid, you're not going to like the heat. You're not going to like the dirt. You're not going to like the geckos living in your house. But he said, you'll love the people. And I realized that I couldn't even go outside for fear of what they were saying. Cause I didn't understand. I couldn't get the language and It was just an interesting time where I thought, well, I'm in big trouble because the one thing that I was supposed to do really well was be able to love the people. And I was really frightened. They had just had a coup d'etat. So there was just this, you know, political unrest in the country. I had three little kids and um, I just, I think I was just petrified. And, um, but my husband was thriving in life and in ministry there. And I was barely surviving. And I think for those of us who know what that feels like to be the one that's just surviving and everybody else looks like they're thriving, you only can, you can only survive so long. And I basically crashed and burned. I became so depressed. Um, I believed the lies of the enemy that said, who are you to be a missionary? Who are you to be here? Do you remember when you failed here or here? Um, I remember feeling like I wasn't a valuable team member. What did I have to offer? They all had this grand capacity and I barely was functioning. And so I just really became very depressed and I wasn't coping with my husband or my kids or our ministry. And I remember I came to a point where I thought I had two options. One option was a stretcher where I would have an honorable discharge in my mind. Ingrid Davis, missionary to Mali, West Africa, is medevaced back to the States for stateside ministry because she was sick. So that, to me, in my mind, was an honorable discharge, the stretcher. But the one I feared more than anything was the straitjacket. Like, would I ever get out of this deep place of depression? And it was coming out physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I came to a point where I I remember one Sunday, I couldn't go to church. And I just said to my husband, I'm not making it. I'm not okay. I don't know how, if I'll ever be okay. And for him just to say, 
hon, I can't fix you, but I want you to know that I'm not going anywhere. And it was just those words that just, uh, you know, and I realized um, just how much help I needed and that I needed grace for myself and grace towards others and just began a journey of understanding my soul, understanding why I do what I do, um, why I don't do what I don't do and things like that. And so, you know, the first step in soul care is really awareness. It's awareness of what's happening to your soul, what's impacting you, what lies are you believing? Um, where is your foundation of identity? It really goes back to that. So it's interesting. This is what, 20 something years later, 30 something years later, and it still brings up an emotion because of such a deep place. And I think that's why I have such a passion to come alongside other leaders. Oh, wow. You're <laughs> making me emotional over here, just listening to you. And I think maybe in part because of how heavy what you went through was and mm -hmm. how I, I can like not, not fully, of course, but sort of enter into that from like the times that our, my family moved overseas for missions when I was a mm. teenager and just mm. how like desperately lonely I was, you know, I didn't have kids depending on me, but I felt extremely alone and I can, I can relate to that. <clears throat> but I think what moves me more is I think I hear in your voice, like you said, even though it's 30 years later, like a relief, a relief mm. that you are, you are not in a straight jacket. You are not trapped in that dark place because, and I, as you were talking, I was thinking about a, a, a really dear friend of mine who I, I think is in that spot right now, a little bit, that spot where they feel like everyone is thriving and they're just surviving and people don't even really know that that's their situation. And, and people are pretty quick to be like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll make it like things will all work out. But I know because of our friendship, just how profoundly panicked, I think it's a good word, mm. panicked that mm. they will stay heavy and sad and feel like they are not meeting what they thought the God-given capacity was. They just are so weighted by this by depression, by missed opportunities, by yeah. exhaustion, you know, and, and insecurity, like constantly, they're constantly in their head, like wondering, doubting people's affections and, and, you know, the list goes on. And I, I know as, you know, over the last few years of, of being friends with this person, like I've felt like, I don't know what to do to support them to find mm. that, freedom. And I feel like I've almost sort of tried to suggest like what, what my conception of soul care was, which was like mm -hmm. giving them like basically a whole bunch of Henry now in books and being like, <laughs> yeah. I will pray for you, which is not really what they needed. <laughs> but I, I'm your story. I know will resonate with so many people because mm. so many people are weighted down. It resonates with me, but how like, how do they, how do people step over? I feel like it's subtle and you only realize it when you, you know, retrospect, you look behind you, but yeah, like what are, 
you can't mentor everyone. <laughs> so the right. people that are there, like what can, do you have practical thoughts on what mm. the first steps are? Yeah, that's, so I think the first step is awareness, right? So naming what it is that you're even experiencing or feeling, what are your emotions? Like name them, like speak them out, write them down. Um, you know, emotions are like a window for your soul. So paying attention to your emotions, what am I feeling right now? Am I feeling downcast or discouraged or insecure um, or driven um, or on edge or um, critical of myself and others? So when those things come up, those emotions come up, those are like a sign or like a window into the soul to say, okay, what am I believing right now? Because really emotions come from our thoughts. Well, they're all kind of connected. So again, it's circular, right? It's not a linear, my thoughts produce my emotions. But there is something in our, just to pay attention to the emotion that comes up, what's underneath the emotion? Is there a belief? I'm not good enough. I'm less than, I'm a failure. Um, so what happens is when I'm working with someone, I help them to pay attention to their emotions. I ask them questions like, what are you really believing right now? What are you believing about yourself? What are you believing about God? What are you believing about your relationships? Um, so I'm, I'm insecure. So I ask them, so what are you, what are you insecure about? What are you believing and oftentimes it's the the not good enough lies. I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, old enough, young enough, whatever it might be. And so helping them pay attention to their thinking. And, you know, I think of the psalmist in Psalm uh, 43, where the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Why are you so sad or discouraged? And then he says, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. So what I help people to do, and I do this myself, is I pay attention. I literally address my soul. I I take my soul out as if like in front of me and I'll, I'll address my soul. What's going on? Why are you so downcast? Why are you insecure? Why are you so impatient right now? And so I address my soul, but then I preach to my soul. I speak to my soul and I tell my soul, soul, put your hope in God. Soul, where is your identity? Your identity is not what other, other people think about you. Your identity is who you are in Christ and what he says about you. And then he says, so I put your hope in God, but it also says, and yet I will praise, choosing to praise God. And so that's what's been very helpful for me. And as I've walked alongside others is awareness. Emotions are a window to the soul. Pay attention to what you're thinking and believing. Ah, oh, it's so good. I hope I want to send this episode to my friend <laughs> because, yeah, and like as an outsider who's not in the depths of that place, it's so easy to look at other people and and say, like, you know, you are so beloved. You are so good. You are made in his image. And there's so much in you that is just spectacular, which is what I, you know, think about my friend. But then when you're, when you're in those depths, like it's, it's not compelling. You don't, 
It's kind of like, thanks. That's a nice thought. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> you can stop making yourself feel good by encouraging me now. So yeah. And yeah. I I do think like it, there can be a feeling of like, it's impossible. It's a mountain, but you from personal experience. And I mean, I'm, I have yet to go through many of the ups and down seasons, I'm sure are ahead of me, but from the limited experience I do have, like, I do remember thinking like, I will never be okay. My life, I think I described it to my friend as a different friend, as my life (laughs) feels like it's mostly sadness sprinkled with occasional unexpected happiness. And, Mm. oh, I wish I was one of those people whose lives seem to be mostly happiness sprinkled with occasional sadness. And I can say, I can say with all conviction that that is how my life feels now. And I used to hate it when people would say like, oh, God gives you joy, but maybe not happiness. (laughs) Because Mm -hmm. I do actually think the joy that we get from God looks a lot like happiness. It does actually Mm -hmm. feel really good. And there's like a I think that joy is just more robust. Like it's more, it's more Mm. grounded in my identity now that like I have so much joy because of this relationship I have with God and that's not going anywhere. Like there's a steadiness to that, a a certainty in in Mm. when everything else is so uncertain. So true. Yeah. So true, Rebecca. Yeah. So I, I feel like I should reorder all my questions. I only have a couple left, but <laughs> I, I don't want to end on, I have, I have a question about, I, okay, I won't end. I'll do two more questions, but okay, with room for follow-up if that happens. <laughs> but what are some of the challenges that you find, I don't know, personally, or just overall of working in, in soul care? Mm-hmm. It's draining, to be very honest. Um, I was just on an hour call just before this one with a pastor who realized that he needed some healing from just some of his own memories and his story. And, um, you know, really a lot of soul care is listening to people's stories and then helping them connect the dots, helping them to see their story is impacting who they are, how they live, why they do what they do. And so many people don't even understand. I was 42 years old before I really understood my story and how my story was impacting my soul and why I believed what I believed and why I did what I did. And so a lot of soul care is is listening to story. So really having the gift of presence um, to really be present and to be able to listen well to somebody else's story, but then enough that you're you can differentiate yourself that I don't enter in to the muck and the mire. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to touch it, but I'm not going to own it. Right. So in soul care, learning how to be able to be present uh, for me, each person's story that I listen to is like a sacred trust. It's like this trust that I'm holding and listening to their story and then helping them to kind of mine the depths of their souls to help them understand um, what motivates them, where their passions are, what's keeping them stuck, 
and things like that. So it requires, a, I would say, an ear to God and an ear to the person, an ear vertically and an ear horizontally. So that as I'm listening to somebody, I'm all, I'm listening to them and I'm listening to God and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit. Um, I think for some soul care practitioners, the danger is that we think we can fix people or that we can figure it out. And the fact is our best guide is the Holy Spirit and only Holy Spirit is the one that reveals truth and reveals the lies and you know, I often say, Holy Spirit, will you come and shine a light onto our stories and into our souls? And as the Holy Spirit does that, um, that's where breakthrough comes. That's where transformation comes. And so it's not about fixing somebody. I'm not going in trying to fix somebody, but I want to come alongside like a journeying companion. And um, I think actually that's what the word Sputnik, you know, the when the Russians put that first spacecraft into outer space. It was called the Sputnik. And it actually means traveling companion. Um, some people will call me uh, the agitator of their souls. Like Ingrid comes in and kind of agitates because she asks the questions. And I, I prefer to call myself a, um, a soul friend, somebody who comes alongside and journeys with and listens to stories, but asks maybe the hard questions that we don't want to ask. And as I'm either coaching somebody or doing um, a soul care session or an inner healing session with somebody, I might say to them, so what's the question I haven't asked yet that you don't want me to ask? Because there's usually a question that they don't want me to ask because they know it's going to reveal things that either are keeping them stuck or they're afraid to reveal or there's shame. And so being able to deal with other people's stories being able to uncover and mind the deep things of the heart. Um, it's in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And it's never Ingrid coming or any soul care practitioner coming in to fix you. But they want we're we want, we're there to listen to your story. And then as we listen to your story, to listen to God and what is God revealing. Oh, so good. So good. I, I, this is making me feel like I need to do some more of this. I need to make sure and <laughs> have someone ask me the hard questions. Mm -hmm. So I guess my last question then will be, what is something, if anything, that you sense God saying to you right now, or, and what is something you are hopeful for? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm hoping that I get to do this for many more years. Um, we're heading to retirement pretty soon here, which is crazy for me to even think about, but I don't think I'll ever retire from this, uh, from coming alongside people and, and caring for their souls and inviting them into a place of freedom and spaciousness in their soul. I, um, I hope I can do this until my dying breath. Um, I would, I know I'm supposed to, um, and I've been, people who are going to listen to this who know me are going to say, Ingrid, how long have you been saying this? But I feel like it's time for me to get a lot of this into a book um, and so that I can pass it on. And, and I know that, you know, legacy is not what we leave for people. It's what we leave in people. And so for me to be able to leave in somebody just a new level of freedom or transformation um, is such a gift for me. But I do think it's time to 
to sit down and to actually write some of this out and write some of my story out um, that others could learn from from me and from what I've learned, because really mostly what I do and what I'm passionate about is what I've experienced in my story or in the stories that I've listened to around the world. And so, um, yeah, I'm hopeful that that will happen. Um, I'm excited that my husband and I get to do this together. For many years, I did alone. I was traveling for at least 10, 12 years by myself. And in 2018, we decided to take a leap of faith and Chuck left the church that we were pastoring and we a salary and a house and everything. And we just took a leap of faith and just said, Lord, we're trusting you to provide for us and that you will open the doors of ministry. And for the last five years, two of those, including COVID, the Lord has just opened up doors of ministry. So my prayer is that we continue that he continues to expand our tent pegs and the boundaries that he has for us. And um, yeah, and be able to leave some of this for others to take and to teach and to learn from, Mm -hmm. from my own story. Oh, I hope so. I hope you do put this in a book. (laughs) I would read that book for sure. And I will, that's something I, I also will pray for, for you. Like I, I'm excited hearing you describe the ministry that you've been able to do with your Husband and I mean, retirement is an important thing and <laughs> rest is good. But also I, I do hope that you are able to continue doing this as long as it's like life-giving and fruitful and, and you sense God is still moving, like don't retire, keep going. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I intend to do that. Yeah. Good. Do. good. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ingrid. It has been such an encouragement for me. And I know it will be for other people too, to listen to your story. And yeah, I, I think what you shared is it's a version. It is essentially, I mean, you didn't say it, but it is the gospel. Like it's a gospel mm. of setting people free and of finding hope in really dark places. And I believe so wholeheartedly that the gospel accomplishes that. I do too. I do. You know, I think of the words that Jesus spoke when he unrolled that scroll of, and it's recorded in Luke four, but he was speaking the words from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Mm -hmm. Wow, I can't think of a better note to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much. When darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to seal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken, no I won't be shaken
sickness tries to roll over my bones when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own when brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken no I won't be shaken my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love